Welcome back, guys. This is a very special episode because we'll be talking with and about veterans. All of our lives have been touched in some way by veterans, and for that matter, those that are currently in active service, whether we know them or or we don't. So we're going to serve them today by discussing mental health issues that may occur during active service and or after. Let's dig in. How you doing? You okay? How's it going? How are you feeling today? Welcome to South Fine, a podcast from Right Track Medical Group dedicated to destigmatizing mental health in the South through genuine conversation about the challenges that we all face every day. For more information, please visit our website, righttrackmedical.com backslash South Fine. While we hope you enjoy listening to our podcast, please remember that this is not a substitute for professional diagnosis or for the treatment of any mental health condition. All right, guys, here we are again. And uh, I know that um, a lot of you guys are familiar with country music artist Craig Morgan. He was recently on Bobby Bones Radio, and he um, he was asked what it was like transitioning from active service. And he said, and I'm paraphrasing this, by the way, um, I'm working on it. You have a lifestyle that is unimaginable in an to the average American, and the longer you spend in that lifestyle, the harder it is to transition into something that is nothing like that. That hit me because we all know veterans, right? We talked about that in the very beginning. Um, and a lot of us don't understand what they've been through. We speculate what that lifestyle would be, um, but we don't actually know. In that lifestyle, sometimes what may, just like in our life, arise or mental health issues. And uh, today we are joined by Mike Pettigrew, and he has dedicated his life to serving our country and its veterans. And he has a long list of credentials, <laughs> but I would rather him dive into them. Is that all right with you, Mike? Sure. Sure thing. <laughs> then, then let me talk about you. Uh, uh, Mike, it's so awesome to have you here. Um, so if you could just share a little bit about the ins and outs of your relationship with the military and your years of service to present day. Sure. I've uh, served for 28 years in the U.S. Army on active duty from 1985 when I received my commission as a lieutenant uh, in the middle of the uh, Cold War through 2013, and that's when I retired. I served primarily as an infantry officer and also later on as a foreign area officer serving a lot of embassy time overseas. So out of the 11 tours that I've had in the service, 10 of those are outside the continental United States. They were what we called uh, OCONUS tours. Uh, That took me through peacetime, uh, peacekeeping missions, uh, multiple combat tours all around the globe, in that span of 28 years. Wow. That's, that's a lot. Um, so would you say that a lot of your career was focused on understanding people and how they in cultures? Cause a lot of yours was in a communication role too, wasn't it? Well, Communications is a part of every role, especially as any type of leaders in, in the U.S. military. And so when we take care of people, obviously, you got to communicate with them. And that includes a lot of listening. 
and we talk about taking care of, of the troops, especially on active duty, is all aspects of their life, you know, on duty, off duty, to include family, especially if you're in a foreign country and they have their family there with no background, no uh, connectivity. You know, the problems you face in leadership are exacerbated by the, the additions of, you know, all their domestic issues and problems. Okay. All right. And not to get too personal into this, but are there any uh, mental health issues or journeys that you've, that you've experienced? You know, there's always stresses in the military. I mean, just by the nature of, of the, the duty itself. And then if you go into combat, that's added stresses. And then with the soldiers, you have added stresses of, uh, your family back home, they're, they're dealing with their own set of stresses in your absence. So that exacerbates. So you may be facing a very stressful situation in a combat zone, but you're still worried about mom and the kids, hmm. you know, 15,000 miles away. Jeez. So yes, those do add to it. And it just, it makes matters a lot. Uh, yeah. And I have to ask you, I know that you're the commander of the American Legion here, right? In Tupelo, that's correct. In I'm Tupelo, also the, sorry, uh, Lee County Veteran Service Officer. Yeah, sorry, I was supposed to be in Tupelo today um, with you guys, and I apologize. I was very much looking forward to that. Instead, I'm now sitting in my daughter's playroom at a tiny desk in a pink chair. So, <laughs> very appropriate place to be having this conversation, I guess. But uh, yeah, apologize for not being there. But yes, I meant Tupelo, um, and I've read a few. Uh, uh, things where y'all have honored uh, um, war veterans that were uh, POWs, and I'm um, one Vietnam, one uh, World War II. I just can't. It, you know, I had my grandfather was actually um, shot down over occupied Holland and was passed to the Dutch underground during World War II uh, for about sixteen months, and so I have an experience with him not being able to handle that as he aged. Um, I, I imagine that that is something that we as civilians would never understand. And is there, can you talk a little bit about that and how these people have gone on to leave, lead such good, it's seemingly great lives? Sure. And, and, and the two that you, that you mentioned that we honored was uh, Lieutenant Son Puckett, uh, U.S. Navy shot down in World War II and held uh, captive by the Japanese. And then the second one is uh, U.S. Air Force uh, Colonel Smitty Harris, uh, author of the new book called Tap Code. He served for 2,781 days as a POW in different uh, POW camps in North Vietnam. Uh, almost eight years uh, as, a, as a POW. And he is probably one of the, the very few people that I actually revere because you meet him. He doesn't portray the, the, the persona that a lot of people think about the broken veteran. Mm. Uh, and he has every reason to do that because he's been through a lot more than most will ever th think of going through. And you meet him, he's very humble, very grounded, very level. And so he's the type of veteran that we look to emulate in the ability to you know, take such, such great tragedy and then be able to be a role model for, for future veterans. Yeah. And, you know, and, it, you know, just seeing, seeing photographs of him, I kind of figured that was the case. And I can, from no professional standpoint whatsoever, we're not going to hold you to that standard, but can you speculate on what coping tools that he used to 
Oh, I mean, if you, you know, I encourage anybody to, to, to read the book about him and his wife, because his wife is, is the other half of the story, keeping the family intact. I mean, when he was shot down, she was pregnant with their, their youngest son, is obviously God and family. Hmm. And so he had uh, already, he didn't develop the coping me- mechanisms. He had the, the coping mechanisms already instilled in him when this, when he, when he, when he was captured. Wow. And what's the name of the book again? So everybody tap code tap code. Yeah. Smitty Harris is responsible for bringing the tap code to Vietnam. That's it's, it's not Morse code, the little tapping. So the POWs communicate between each other and in, in different from sales without the, uh, their captors, you know, being aware yeah. of what they were saying. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I just had to ask about that because it's really, you know, just to kind of give them some, you know, uh, sure. as well. Um, so this is kind of an easy question, but do you think that mental health is important for veterans and, and why is it important to recognize that? Short answer. Yes, of course. But let, let's talk about what veterans are. When we talk about veterans, there's no universal definition of veterans. You know, veterans to the average person, citizen versus definition of veterans for the VA are different. And so if we look at maybe use the definition that the VA, the Veterans Administration uses for veteran suicide, there's basically three groups. Those are that are serving on active duty. And that's a whole different dynamic because they're self-contained. Then you have those in the Guard and Reserve. You know, about 85 to 90 percent of their time is really as civilians unless they're activated and they're deployed. But, you know, they go two weekends, you know, I mean, two weeks a, a year and one weekend a month. So they're mostly civilians. And then you have those like myself that have completely left the service and now integrating back into civilian life. And so, yes, mental health is important to all. But obviously, when you've got soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines uh, in a combat situation, that mental health is extremely important because lives are at stake. Mm. Yeah. And that's what, you know, I mentioned that quote at the beginning of veteran country music artist, Craig Morgan. And he said that it, because he was in active duty, I think for quite some time. And um, he said it was just fast and you're seeing people die and, you know, transitioning from that to the civilian life, you know, he said is completely different. Would you back that up? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Even with myself, you know, uh, like I said, I served 28 years. So my entire adult adult life was either preparing to go into the service as a cadet and then 28 years on active duty and coming out. And so it, it is. And it, a lot of it, I guess, it depends on your expectations when you come out. Do you already have a vision and a purpose set aside for you? Mm-hmm. But if you're just coming out and then going to find your way, uh then you figure it out. So we, we always say when you leave the service, you'll go do one or two things. You'll go where the job takes you or you'll go where you want to live and then figure it out. Mm. You know, in my case, I wanted to come back home being from Tupelo and then figure it out. So I did have to go through uh, trying to develop and find a purpose. You know, I'm still at least, you know, at the age where I could be gainfully employed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of, it's a, is it a structure issue? Like, um, is that play into it as well? Like I know that a regimented issue or is that just in some ways, I, I think you're right. I think you get into a point where you're, you've been wired. I mean, everything is, is, is always say mission first troops always mm-hmm. is a, is a 
model of like the army is so you're just so focused on whatever the mission is, whatever assignment you're in, whatever job within the assignment that you're in, you're so mission focused that it becomes ingrained in you that, that especially if you stay in, mm-hmm. you know, for like a career, like I did, you, you, you gotta have a mission. You gotta have a purpose. You just can't sit back and let everybody row the boat except you. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, and I imagine that like, it's really difficult as a civilian to see some, a, a pat something on the street. If that were to happen, doesn't know how it happened often in Tupelo that is someone's in danger and it's really difficult not to put yourself in that situation. Is that, I mean, cause that's what you guys are made to do. <laughs> sure. You, you move to the sound of the gun. Yeah. 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 So if there's something, you know, perceived danger, you're going to, you know, you're trained to, to, to be a, an active participant to try to mitigate, you know, whatever. Do you have to uh, reel that in sometimes? In in all actually aspects. no, <laughs> okay. you know actually it's, it's not. I mean, actually, I, I use different skills. Like I said, you know, I'm, and, and my wife, you know, tries me that <laughs> if some some person is is an example was at a ball game, and this guy was inebriated. He was a veteran, obviously had some signs of PTSD, and he was just getting really out of hand and. Um, my 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 uh, strategy was not to confront him; was to go up, sit by him, and bring him down a level. Hmm. And I come to find out, his son was actually playing on one of the teams, and that would be a, a huge embarrassment to have his yeah. his father, you know, escorted off under police escort. And so we use those skills really to de-escalate a situation. It's not always combative, even though. We're trained for combat. You want to de-escalate. That's great. That's yeah, super great for everyone to know. Um, and that's part of the training as well, I would imagine. That's yeah. correct. Um, so let's talk about stigma. Um, you know, there's a big stigma in the South with just civilians with uh, mental health. Um, I can imagine that it's kind of as tough as you guys are and what you've seen. And, you know, you, you got to compartmentalize to some degree that stigma of mental health is a part of the military or am I wrong? No, you're, you're right. And it does, and it includes physical health also, uh-huh. you know, it all relates to the ability of the service member be able, being able to carry their weight, mm. whether it's physically uh, or mentally. And we see a lot more that, that have, you know, physical issues by their own fault. You know, they're overweight. They can't finish the run. They can't finish the march. If I can't count on you to carry your own weight, where are you going to be for me when bullets start mm-hmm. flying? And so that's that goes transitions over to the mental health. If you cannot function in a very chaotic environment that you help, don't have clarity, you don't have stability, rational thinking, decisive thinking, you're a detriment to the mission. And then you put people's lives at risk. Hmm. Yeah. You know, we talk a lot about how physical I- imbues the health of the, of the brain. Um, and so I would imagine a lot of getting that physical in shape first is part of helping that brain get in shape, um, whether it's thought about that way or not, uh, especially in the military with basic and that sort of thing. I mean, that's for both. I, it, isn't that right? Basic training is for, yeah. to, to guide both. That's right. You know, you, you tear you down to and then build you back up as a as a unit where you're a team as opposed to just a bunch of uh, individuals in the same unit. But also that training 
is indoctrinates you to to some expectations of casualties, you know, having casualties inflicted, taking care of them. And so, you know, part of that that does build up some mental uh, resistance by managing your expectations when you go to combat. So the better you train, the harder you train, the more likely you're able to to cope with a uh, very chaotic or tragic situation. So what do you think the future of uh, mental health professionals in the military looks like or, or just mental health um, education? I think, you know, it's, it's a different generation. You know, my generation, I don't know, I'm, I'm at the cusp of baby boomer or Gen X. And then the other generations don't seem to have as much of the coping skills uh, or their expectations aren't there. I mean, we grew up with hard life or, or especially my, my father and them grew up picking cotton themselves, you know, different lifestyle, different expectations. And so I think the, the, they'll have to spend more time on training and educating on coping skills, mm-hmm. uh, toughing up the ability, the preventive stuff, healthy mind, healthy body. So that when you, you, uh, um, deal are, are confronted with these type of, of situations that you're able to cope. And so it, it needs to balance more. We did a lot on physical training. We need to do some more on the mental probably aspects. So that's where I see they're actually pretty good about uh, even going back to 2000, when I did a, a peacekeeping mission and we were deployed to the Sinai in Egypt. We deployed my task force with a mental health professional, uniform mental health oh, professional. Wow for the ability to interact with soldiers that was having, you know, problems dealing with the stresses of the deployment. That's great. And did that help? Oh, it did. We, we utilized it several times to include assess, assessing the soldier situation when he was fine, but the family back home was mm. fine. So that mental health professional would help us assess how was he handling, you know, the family situation back there, or does he need to go, do we need to send him back? And on occasion we did. And uh, it was better off for the service member to be be back home than with us. Yeah, because the mission is jeopardized if... That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. That's great. So from your perspective, how can friends and family members be supportive of uh, mental health uh, of veterans in their lives and active service members? I, I think that, that that's uh, there's there's two sections of that. You've got service members that have identified that they do have a problem and sought help. That's one dynamic. Then you have the ones that are in denial. No, I don't have a problem. I've got this. You know, I'm a tough guy. And so both need education and assistance. You know, if if a server member has been identified and he sought help and he's receiving medications or therapy or whatever, obviously the family member needs to be educated on how to better assist that person in his his road to recovery uh, versus which I see more times than not is a service member uh, is in denial. And so when you come back from deployment, there's normal uh, abnormal behavior and then there's abnormal abnormal behavior. And so you have family members that don't know any of this. I mean, they don't know the signs. They don't know if what they're seeing is normal or abnormal and they do not know where to go. They do not know what they're seeing uh, they don't know if it's PTSD, if it's just unwinding or whatever. 
And even if they're still in the service, they're redeployed. Or if they left the service, you know, they recently had, had deployed on service. So, again, that's education and assistance. But just as important, where to turn to, where to turn to to get that education, where to get help. Am I seeing something normal or am I seeing something abnormal? Where would they turn to? Oh, that's what we're working on here. And that's why we've we've started this task force a little over a year ago to try to reach out because we understand, especially with veteran suicide or suicide in general, it's a national problem, but requires a local solution. And so it's not going to be solved strictly by calling a crisis line on Saturday night, mm-hmm. you know, and you're talking to somebody 500 miles away. Where's the follow up? Where's the, the, the follow on? And so that's what we're trying to solve is is to ensure, at least for Lee County, if it's a veteran, call my office. You know, I've worked with the Right Track and several of the other mental health providers in the city. I've reached out and we've established, you know, and that's what we're doing, establishing a network, a coalition, is that I can do just like a chain of command would do. You know, an active duty, if a service member comes to his chain of command with a problem, be it for him, be it for his family, her family, whichever, they don't turn them away. They don't give them a card. They don't say, hey, we can't help you. They take them to the right person, whether it's physical, whether it's mental. You see the chaplain, go see the mental health professional. You help that service member deal with those problems the best you can. And obviously, at some point, it gets to a point where they're a detriment to the mission. You've got to transition them out to the civilian world that, you know, we got a mission to do. We can't keep you on injured reserves forever. And so uh, so that's what we're, we're trying to do. And that's so or if they're a veteran in Lee County, call my office and then I will I will hand them off to somebody. Can And we'll put these in the show notes too, but can you tell us uh, the contact for that? Sure. Okay. Sure. I'm the uh, Lee County Veteran Service Officer located downtown Tupelo on Main Street. You can reach me at 662-432-2099. That's my number. I've got voicemail if you need to leave a message. Okay. And then also, Mark, how can people better support what you're doing and just the mental health of veterans in their, their particular communities. You, like you said, this is the local, it's a national issue, but it's a, the local problem. The local solution. Yeah. Local solution. Yes. Sorry. I, I had a negative spin on that. I like the positive. <laughs> um, it's a local right. solution. That's exactly right. And so how to, how can communities better support you guys? Well, what we're trying to do is, is that, like we're doing here, is forming a coalition. The coalition will will uh, uh, break down barriers and build bridges. At the same time, we're involving stakeholders in the mental health community and um, within the, the veteran community, be it veteran service organizations, the National Guard, the family readiness groups within the Guard You know that, that really work to support the uh, – the families when the soldiers are deployed, anybody that's a stakeholder in both those communities. Uh, the key thing is you got to have a catalyst. And mm-hmm. that's what we decided we need to serve as first as the American Legion. And then myself, when I moved to this position. So ideally, uh, I would like to see us develop a model here in Lee County that we could then be replicated for any other county throughout the state. And then states can replicate it nationally. That's awesome. That's awesome. Mike Pettigrew, thank you so much for um, your knowledge, your service, um, your service to these guys that need some support um, and, and educating people. That's that's kind of the key. You know, that's what we're here doing here on this podcast. We're just talking about stuff and 
hopefully people want to get involved in the conversation. Um, so thanks. Anything, anything you want to say as we head out? No, I just like to say, you know, one, thank you. And I think these podcasts are, are a great opportunity. And I, I told when I talked to mental health professionals, I'm not really concerned that much about your methodology, your, your treatment records. That's for Mississippi's Department of, of Health. My, my biggest challenge is, is getting that service member to your door. And that's the biggest challenge I, I face. And these podcasts uh, are a way of doing that. You know, somebody that may have a problem can go into a podcast and listen anonymously. And these podcasts may walk them to treatment. And so that's what we're hoping to do to work with y'all and the other mental health organizations through the, throughout the, uh, the county is how do we get the people that need help or the person that identifies and doesn't know where to go, how do we get them there? And so that's beyond the stigma. So, you know, obviously you'd like to change the stigma, but that's a strategic objective. That's fighting World War Three. Mm-hmm. We've got a tactical issue. How do you operate in the environment of that stigma and have success? Brilliantly put. Um, thank you so much, Mike. I appreciate it, man. That was awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I look to uh, meeting you one day and, and doing some more of these. We got some, some that we can probably do for, for female veterans that's not, that have faced different types of traumas. That's great. I'd love to. If you have questions about mental health and the COVID-19 pandemic that you'd like our providers to answer in a future episode, please email southoffine at righttrackmedical.com. And if you'd like more information about Right Track Medical Group or the South of Fine podcast, please visit righttrackmedical.com. Thanks to our production team, Kelly Huntsberger, Caitlin Clegg, Carol Ann Hughes, Alica Batista, and Reese Lau. Special thanks to Squadcast for providing superior remote interview services.